Welcome to Missing Persons Uncovered. I'm Caroline Humer, a child protection expert, and in this podcast series, we seek to understand the complexities of a global issue. Every year, hundreds of thousands of people go missing worldwide. I'm Karen Shalev-Green, and I carry out research into missing persons at the University of Portsmouth in the UK. Across this series, Caroline and I are talking to professionals to share insights into how we can all be more aware and take action to protect vulnerable people in our communities and families from going missing. In this episode, Karen talks to Lili Liu, a professor in the School of Public Health Services and a Dean of the Faculty of Health at the University of Waterloo, about how people with dementia go missing and the risks that they face. From my own research, we have learned that people with dementia are at increased risk of going missing but are sometimes harder to look for as they do not always present themselves as missing or vulnerable. We all have stigmas that we try to avoid, but engaging these early conversations uh, about dementia, that it may progress, what can we do to make it safer, and that you may get lost, and let's prepare for this. Thank you for agreeing to join us on the podcast. And really the reason why I approach it is obviously the work that I know you've done in relation to dementia and missing. How would you define what dementia is? I think sometimes people ask me, is Alzheimer and dementia the same thing? I think there's a lot of misunderstanding. So what is dementia? I can understand why there is a confusion because these words are just thrown around interchangeably. In a nutshell, uh, essentially, we can look at dementia as an umbrella term or a general term. It's an umbrella term, and it covers many different types of conditions that um, uh, show up as a loss of memory or difficulty with thinking abilities. But any of these that these thinking abilities that would impact or interfere, I would say, with somebody's daily life. Generally, and when we say dementia, we're talking about the irreversible, the progressive types. And these just get worse over time. There's no real concrete or straightforward way of diagnosing it, except for examining brain tissue. So typically, the diagnosis itself is based on symptoms. Symptoms, as I mentioned, particularly short-term memory. So something that's occurred in the recent past, they have difficulty recollecting. So more difficulty remembering grandchildren's name versus their own children's name, which is longer. Just keeping track of where things are, typically losing things, paying their bills. They, all these activities they used to be able to do, but are no longer able to do. And of course, what the topic of today is traveling in and out of the neighborhood. I wouldn't say even outside of the neighborhood, sometimes even within their own neighborhood, that they can start to get lost. And these are very alarming so Alzheimer's, you mentioned, is by far the makes up the biggest number of a type of dementia. Some people say 60%, some say as high as 80% of all dementias are Alzheimer's. And then there are some others that are like very tiny bleeding in the brain can cause what we call vascular dementia that can occur. There's other types as well. But Alzheimer's is the one that's really the progressive one that we're concerned about. Yeah. Understanding how individualized dementia can be. Lily explains further why people with dementia can be at risk of going missing or harm and how it can happen at any time. We've been asking that question and it really is from lots of observations and conversations and own experience and reading the literature 
we realize there are so many reasons. There isn't just one reason. So because of these symptoms that we just talked about, these cognitive changes, they can become disoriented and not recognize where they are. We talked about brain names being challenging of their grandchildren versus longer term. But in this case, it could be just visually they're not recognizing or their brain is not processing what they're visually seeing. And just like with short-term memory, if they're in a newer environment, the um, visual, I would say, signs of their environment, the cues are newer to them. So it's not part of their habits and they can easily become disoriented in an unfamiliar environment. And this goes for even if they're in a facility or in a home and renovations have been done or furnitures have been changed, it's no longer familiar to them. It can create a sense of being lost at that moment. Sometimes when they are, when they feel that they no longer recognize their environment, people living with dementia can then panic and then they start to find their way instead of sitting down calmly, asking for help, calling someone, or just looking around and just getting a sense of, of uh, the cues that may help them. So sometimes they may start wandering. We Wandering is not necessarily a bad term, but they start walking just to find their way because they're panicking. So that could be one reason when they are disoriented because they no longer recognize the cues. Sometimes they may be relocated to a residential care facility, and this is a new environment, But because they don't recognize it, they feel compelled to leave. They want to go home. Everybody has a sense of comfort associated with home. So they want to leave and seek their previous home. And sometimes this can even be in a home that they've been living in for a long time, but they no longer feel at home or feel that this is their home. They want to go back to a childhood home. It could be on a farm or something. So they may begin to leave seeking their way towards that. And they Sometimes they're found on the highway, actually often walking in the right direction towards a particular destination. In interviews and after they're found, we often don't go into those questions. The very important question that you ask is what triggered this person to leave from a place of safety? I've also seen cases where individuals feel very confident. They want to travel. They feel confident they can find their way home, but they don't, they don't plan for it properly. So do everything that seems appropriate. They just go and they buy a train ticket and they are, next thing you know, they're on the train. If the vendor doesn't recognize there's something strange about this person, right? They may, in that way, they can become lost because of incomplete planning. And, and there's so many cases where they travel with a caregiver or a care partner, and they're asked to just wait in the car. They're running errands. And the car is considered to be a very safe place. They're sitting there with a seatbelt on. The driver leaves to deliver a mail or to pick up a package. Then come back and the person has disappeared. And it could be because that familiar individual could be an adult daughter or son suddenly is gone. And then they don't remember why they were there in the first place. And again, they leave thinking that they could find the person or for whatever reason, they then become lost. That's just a small number of many reasons. It isn't just because they're confused. It's often unintentional, which is the sad part. And then they just can't find their way back. How many people actually live with dementia? Research suggests that 50 million people could live with dementia by 2030. Karen continued the conversation with Lily by asking how many of the 50 million can be at risk of going missing. 
That is the million dollar question. And one of the four questions we are examining right now with this government funding that I told you about earlier. Now, if you look at the websites and you think they say that, what is it that they say? Six out of 10. So three out of five, that's a high number a 60% will go have gone missing or go missing during the course of dementia. We don't know where those statistics come from. We believe originate in the US, but it actually doesn't make sense because if you look at the prevalence of dementia, whether it be 1 million in the UK or 2 million in, in 30 years or over 600, nearly 600,000, whatever in Canada, it doesn't, we don't see that number actually getting lost. So we don't, we need to have, we need to define what we mean by prevalence. Is it within a particular period of time? We need to also define whether those are repeat incidents. We also need to understand that there are numbers that are reported and numbers that are not reported. In many cases, due to, I think, embarrassment, care providers in a facility or family members tend to wait. And really, when they cannot find the person after a substantial amount of time, they will report it. But typically, when the person is found, they won't report it. So we don't know the actual real numbers, right? We do know that when it does happen, the impact is devastating. The waiting period and searching for the individual, finding the person either deceased or injured or never, it's, some of these cases are not closed because they are still yet to be found. Those are really devastating to the community and to the family members. So regardless of the actual number, the even one case is very devastating. And those are what we hear in the media. But those numbers of media stories are becoming more and more prevalent simply because the numbers are growing. So even if the numbers are small, they are going to continue to grow because they're associated with a number of people with dementia. So that is what we are trying to do now in our research is to make a compelling case for local communities, whether they be first responders or whether they be organizations or search and rescue teams to consistently collect the bare minimum amount of anonymous data and then for all of this to feed into a national database so that we can get a clear idea or a better estimate of the numbers of people who do go missing. It's difficult collecting this data around the world. There are different legislations about privacy and personal data. And because it's a health condition, it's not, it's not like age or gender that we can, it's very difficult to, to get permission to collect this data. So even working with, with Scotland, for example, we understand that there are certain strategies that can be used there with the public that we can't use in Canada because our legislations are different. So all this to say, you're back to your question is how many are at risk? I would say actually that anyone who is diagnosed or who is suspected to have dementia is at risk. And so that leads on to talking about strategies, right? If you have dementia, you should consider yourself at risk of going missing is what would be what I would say. I completely agree. We did a study looking, asking carers, family about the experiences with loved ones going missing. And they said to us that out of, and I'm summarizing that out of 52 missing incidences that they recollected, 42 of them were not reported to the police. So only 10, it's like fifth, which is good and bad at the same time, because it's good that they find them and that this is not law enforcement involvement, because that's terrifying, both for the caregivers and the people with dementia. However, it prevents us from really understanding the extent and the risks. And then when somebody does go missing, 
and the family can't find them. There's already a delay normally in response, which can put people at risk. So that leads me to my next question, which is when a person with dementia is missing, what are the risks they're exposed uh, to? Depending on where you live in the world. And in fact, I would say the weather condition, really, when they go missing, they're not prepared. It's not, we check the temperature, we go out for a walk, we put on the appropriate clothing. When they go missing, often they're not wearing the appropriate footwear. Um, they don't have the appropriate clothing. They don't have their basic necessities, for example, medication or different pieces of clothing to protect themselves, or even their walking aids that could affect their mobility, right? And so right away, their health is at risk. And the longer they go missing, and the further they get, because they can walk for 10 miles, it could be a long way, or they could walk for short distances, and but they, there's a tendency that they don't stop. So if they walk into a hedge or wedge themselves into an alley dumpster, instead of trying to loosen themselves out, they just go further deeper in. And so they could be wedged somewhere very nearby. Physically, I would say they would be, they're at immediate risk to those, the weather temperature, the elements, and also to injuries that could occur, even motor vehicle, traffic that sort of thing, they can become very confused. And if they're near a train station, that could be very dangerous as well. And then with prolonged time, if they happen to still be walking, there could be a risk to being exhausted or to experience dehydration. And again, if they are on medication and they're not taking the medication, there could be hypoglycemia, all kinds of things happening. So I would say without a doubt, immediate physical risk anyway, never mind what we don't even understand well is the emotional trauma that goes with, with feeling alone and perhaps panicked. So is there information about how they feel? Because we've talked before and we've talked in the previous episode about the effect on family. Is there information about how people with dementia feel when they are lost? Are they aware that they're lost? What's their response to it? It's an area that we haven't looked into deeply, but I can say that there are some there's some perhaps indirect way comments that I can make related to that. First of all, I will say that one of our research partners is living with dementia. And I like to describe his a recent an incident that happened recently was he said that he and this is a person who travels a lot. He goes on the plane. He travels. He lives alone. He's got strategies in place using his technology so that when he gets lost, he'll have family members who can locate him and talk him through. But he does go on the airplane. He attends meetings related to dementia research grants and those kinds of things from a lived experience. So this is a person who will do his grocery, he'll come home, he, he is by far not someone we would think is high risk, because he's got these strategies in place. And he's very self aware. One day, he said he was just standing in front of his apartment, this is an everyday thing he does. And he didn't know where he was. And he had a key in his hand, he had the grocery bag in front of his door. So in, instead of opening the door, he walked paced the hallway up and down. And a neighbor came out and said, Oh, how are you doing? Um, are you okay? He says, I don't know where I am. So she said, oh, here, let's take your key. Let's open your apartment. As soon as she opened the apartment, he saw his furniture. Everything was familiar. He goes, oh, I'm home. So he brought in and everything was good. But that's just an indication. That's why or earlier I said, I think everyone is at risk because you just don't know. In my younger years, when I started this research, I used to compartmentalize and think that the familiar environment is the last to go. The familiar neighborhood is the last to pose a challenge. It's always be careful of those new environments. 
when you go on vacation, be careful of those because that's when a person will be lost. But in fact, this is a case where it was just such a fascinating incident. I will, indirectly, I will say that in our study with using the wearable GPS devices, we did interview persons who were living with dementia and people in their care partners and followed them sometimes up to a year. And what individuals who were living with dementia said to us was, especially because they had been lost, and that was um, one of the criteria for part- for recruiting them into the study. So they all had a history of going missing or being lost. And they said it gave them a peace of mind to be able to wear this because they knew that a loved one or someone could track them and they could call for help with two-way communication. So I think indirectly answer your question about what it's like to feel lost is that um, is if they could reach out for help, I think that it does calm them in that situation or provide a way to address, mitigate the risk that even they would feel when they are miss when they're they've gone missing. In previous episodes, we talked about how important it is to report a person missing without delay. Lily further emphasizes the need for caregivers or relatives caring for people with dementia to work with police and their local communities. I think there's still a myth out there. Perhaps it's from TV programs, like TV shows, that have missing incidents or people who are kidnapped or whatever. That I think there's a myth that we should wait 48 hours to, I don't know where that came from, but I've certainly seen that on TV. But that's certainly not the case. And all of the work we've done with all of the participating organizations, first responders and police services themselves, they have told us uh, repeatedly, as soon as you are aware someone is missing, call us right away. Don't wait. And we have actually witnessed and we've ran through simulation scenarios with a particular police service where they had a crime going on in one part of the city and they had a call in for a missing older adult who has dementia. They divided their resources and they escalated this missing older adult up to the top, equivalent to the the, the crime that they were trying to solve. So they are not treated as low priority at all, like people think. I think the police have an interesting persona or image. There's so many reactions to what the police, we think of them as cr- crime crime fighters or they're, they, that they're there to deal with crime. But in fact, they are very, many of the ones that we've worked with, particularly the one on the indigenous communities, they're very much respected as contributors to bringing communities together and making communities safe not just safe from crime, but safe these kinds of lost incidents. And there was one police service I visited just recently, and it was just so touching. He said, we will not turn away any call that comes in. doesn't matter what it is. We will find a solution or we'll triage it and we'll help them address those risks. And so that's why they've been, the ones that we've contacted and we have been so, so good at and so encouraging in the work that we do. But it is true though, the, there's a perception that, um, we might get charged, we might get socially ridiculed if we call the police because this is not a crime. We don't think it is. So I think that and people feel ashamed. Again, as I mentioned, you could be running an errand with a loved one. You're just going out to get the mail from another house. You come back and your loved one is gone. It's not because a lack of care or of attention. It happens. If they really want to get away, they will. And so people should not feel, care partners should not feel personally guilty. There's a lot of guilt out there. And then it's those negative feelings that prevent them from calling for help from the police or any other first responder that's in your neighborhood. Prevention is such a big part of how we keep vulnerable people from going missing, including people with dementia. So what is it that we should be doing 
to prevent people with dementia from going missing? I think I'm just going to say right off the bat, addressing stigma is so important because it takes a community to, and an openness to be able to help ensure the safety of an individual. And when they go missing, it's usually outside of their home. So that's why we need the community to be there. But if an individual, such as this a very famous case here in Canada by the name of Shin No, he is still missing. He's been missing for eight or nine years now. And it's actually his son, Sam No, and another colleague that have started the British Columbia Silver Alert, which is a community-driven organization. And the whole incident started when, and so this is a, a church minister who is well known in the community and he developed dementia, but because of his culture and his strong belief and fear of stigma, I think his son would agree. He didn't want his community, his church community to know. So of course, people with dementia still, they look healthy. They often in the early stages, if you don't watch for the signs, sometimes it's not noticeable, right? And saw him walking that day. And then when he was reported missing, they, and people started to realize that he had dementia, they felt badly. They said, we saw him just moments ago. We have no idea where he is. And it was all because the community didn't know, did not know to keep an eye out for him. They didn't know he may have been lost. And so the first thing I would say is engage in a conversation it's difficult. It's like anything, cancer, anything, right? It's very difficult. And we all have stigmas that we try to avoid. But I engage in these early conversations uh, about dementia, that it may progress, what can we do to make it safer, and that you may get lost, and let's prepare for this. And one of the ways would be to let important people know, you may not want to let everybody know, but maybe the person who's downstairs in the grocery store, so that when you do go missing, the family member would call him and say, just keep, if he's there, he shouldn't be there alone, just keep him there for a few minutes and call us back. So it takes these kinds of a community effort to, I think, just stop the person from actually going further and beyond. And then in these conversations, there are then discussions about, um, how much of your, your personal information are you willing to share? In return, you'll get perhaps more safety strategies in place. So one might be that I'm right now I can make sound decision, but I have dementia. I would really be okay with my data being registered in a vulnerable person's registry, or in Canada, we have medical alert or something like that. These registries often are connected to first responders. And so it's got your basic information, what you look like, do you use a walking aid, mobility aid, that sort of thing. And then when you go missing, we can trigger this and then that information is out. Are you comfortable with the fact that you have dementia being shared on social media when the police, we report it so that the police... Um, in Canada anyway, I know it's not the case in Scotland, but in Canada, only the police can trigger these alerts. So when the police triggers it, you are okay with them saying that you have a cognitive impairment. Of course, there's a risk because then you're now vulnerable perhaps to other crimes. Those are the kind of give and takes that we have to make those early decisions, especially when a person still has the capacity to make those decisions, right? And then also, are you comfortable with using the technologies you can have no technology, but we can build in a strategy. Whenever you go for a walk, you need to let us know and you need to put in your wallet or in your hand or in your pocket, a little piece of paper to say where you live and also where your destination is and that you might have dementia. 
so that the person, if you do need help or you look lost, community will be able to help you when you share this information. So these are all learning. And if you're already comfortable with technology, let's just add an app. There's Life360. There's many different apps that you can allow family members or close friends to keep an eye or track, keep track of you. And then there's other technologies you can use. Some family members go as far as using video monitoring and they check in on their loved one regularly. They may have pets that help with the process too. So there are certain patterns of behavior that typically a person will engage in and that leads them eventually to leave the home. It's just a habit. And if a family member doesn't want the person to leave the home just yet, but they don't want to lock them up either, which is not very dignified. They may go onto the video conference and say, hey, dad, how's little kitty doing? Play with the cat and just redirect them uh, in a very uh, compassionate way. And then just say, I'll be there in 10 minutes and maybe even alerting the grocery store owner downstairs. If my dad comes out, please just keep him there. So I think a lot of these are actually real strategies that people have shared with us. We've also done some work to develop versions of guidelines for individuals living with dementia, also for care facilities or care homes, and also the community. It just describes what are some signs to look for that would put you in a low risk category, a medium risk, a high risk, or none of these risks apply. There's just an unplanned absence. Suddenly you just disappear. And then what are the strategies that are involved that you can, that are associated with these that you can use? For example, using technologies or redirecting strategies or education awareness and addressing stigma, like I just described. So thank you very much. It's been really a pleasure. And I hope people find it useful and we will put the resources, of course, on the website for anyone who's interested to have a look. Thank you, Karen. It's been an absolute pleasure for me as well. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Missing Persons Uncovered. And thank you to Lily for sharing her experience on people with dementia. We need to remove the stigma about dementia and, as Lily explained, talk openly about ways we can build structure around the person so they are supported and protected. If you have any questions you would like us to answer or thoughts on topics you would like us to discuss, please contact us through our website. If you'd like specific information or need help, please reach out to your local police department or national charity. If you are enjoying this podcast and discussion, please help support us by buying us a coffee through missingpersonsuncovered.com. I'm Karen Shalev-Green. And I'm Caroline Humer. Thank you for listening. Join us next time when we talk to Frank Ledwich about people missing from war.